Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Week seven, week seven of this series, Fault Lines. Looking at the different things in life that can, um, can be an opportunity to grow or can be, sadly, uh, a moment uh, of loss, a moment to step back, a moment to fall, so to speak, into the crack. Deep into the Great Depression in 1929, people needed a bright and uplifting song. And that song came in 1933, I'm told. I wasn't around at that point. But it's called We're in the Money. Perhaps you've heard it before. I listened to it a couple of times uh, on YouTube after I'd heard this uh, specific story before. And it goes, we're in the money, we're in the money. We've got a lot it takes to get along. Which I didn't recognize this or realize this, but apparently money is what it takes to get along. That, That was a joke. That's not the case. We're in the money. The sky is sunny. Old man depression, you are through. You're done You've done us wrong. Unfortunately, only six years later, Europe was plunging deep into World War II after Hitler's attacks, and soon the United States found themselves in the thick of the war as well. And the rush of money that came, that was there, that they had, wasn't necessarily something that was going to stick around. It was to go, it was to be lost, it was to be spent, it was to be invested. And you and I both know that things can change in a hurry. If success hands us a windfall, our lives may change drastically, but not necessarily for the best unless we exercise good sense about our dollars. There's no fault line quite like that of gaining or losing money. There's no fault line quite like gaining a windfall, getting a, uh, a raise or a promotion where your needs are taken care of and perhaps some of your wants are finally received. And at the same time, there's no fault line like losing everything, losing a job, losing your retirement, losing all the things that you have worked so hard to earn. These can be shaking times. These can be times where Satan can creep in and attempt to try to separate you from the power, from the, from the, the relationship, from the comfort of the God that loves us, the one that provides for our needs. Losing our financial state should not cause us to lose our faith, but for some it does. If you were to take a personal inventory right now, just think about your life. Think about the ups and downs financially within your life when things were taken care of and maybe when things were difficult, when it was difficult to make ends meet. How did your relationship with God go in those moments? Do you gauge your relationship with God or find your personal joy only when you're in the money? Today we're going to discuss money itself. Let me just say money in and of itself is not a bad thing. Money in and of itself can be a great tool used for the kingdom. At the same time, it can also be used as something that Satan uses to separate us from the king. What does the Bible have to say about money? Let me just tell you, the authors of the the Bible discuss money quite a bit. 
In fact, in the New Testament, it's mentioned over 140 times. Many times by Jesus himself. Why? Because money matters. Because how we view money and how we spend and invest money says a lot about who owns our heart. How we spend our dollars, how we spend our time, our talent, and our treasure says a lot about who sits on the throne of our heart. Jesus actually talked about money quite a bit as well. And it's interesting to note, let me just say this, sometimes within the context of the church, and I'm not going to talk about giving as much as I am about what it means to have a heart that's bent after or that that follows after Jesus, but Jesus talks about money and he never took an offering. That's interesting to me. Jesus never went around and said, okay, now we're going to stop the service or we're going to shift in the service and take an offering. And so when we look at this, we look at it in context, we can recognize the fact that there was no ulterior motive here. Instead, Jesus recognized it's not about the dollars and cents, it's everything about the heart. His desire was to shine light on an item that could become a quiet God in the hearts and the minds of people. Something that could lead us astray, something that could bring us to a place of finding something else at the end of the rainbow or at the end of our lives. Remember the temptation of Jesus? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how Jesus went into the wilderness and he was attacked by Satan. One of those specific attacks was pointed directly at this idea of gaining it all. If you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms. I will give you everything you see before you. It's interesting to note that Satan saw this as a potential crack, a potential fault line where he could seek in and where he could seep in, where he could he could divide, where he could bring forth an opportunity or a recognition for Jesus to say, "Okay, I'll lay it all down and I'll follow this." Because he knew, just like he knows now that that is a potential place where he can get you and me to lay it all down and to follow him. Satan appealed to this greediness or attempted greediness, this, this prideful side of self. The fault line of fortune, fortune gained or fortune lost, is a place where we can recognize that we can grow or we can fall away. Today we're going to look specifically at eternal wealth in in Luke chapter 12. And if you've got your Bible with you, if you're a smart device, we're going to be primarily or we're going to be exclusively in chapter 12. We're we're going to bounce around a little bit. But there's one primary verse I want to start with. Luke is is here discussing Jesus' teaching. He's sharing these specific things. If your scripture is like mine, some of this text is in red. That means it's quoted. Jesus actually teaching and sharing and, and expressing truth among those that are listening there today. But I want to start specifically in a verse that's not in red. In fact, it's someone's response to some of the red, to some of the teaching that Jesus granted. And it starts in chapter 12, verse 13. This passage is really interesting, and this verse is kind of the crux, kind of the the, the fulcrum point of what Jesus is sharing today. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus had just taught, and we're going to read that portion in just a moment. Jesus had just taught some very important warnings and encouragements on what it means to follow him and the snares of life. And this person that is there decides to ask Jesus, the teacher at that time, who he considered the judge or the arbiter, to say, okay, here's what I want to happen legally, and it's not happening. And in that time, it's, it's believed by most scholars that this was the older brother, so he recognized that he was going to get a large portion 
of the inheritance, and he wanted what was his right then. Have you ever talked to somebody or shared something, and you're talking through things, and then their response to kind of reiterate points back are totally off from what you were trying to express? Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe with a child or with a grandchild, you're talking, and you're, okay, here's what we're going to do, here's what it looks like, and then they say, yeah, can I get, uh, can I get a candy bar? Anybody in here? This is kind of the reaction right now, or kind of the thought right now. This, this, this teaching has come forward. Jesus has expressed some very important things about the kingdom, far beyond what's, what's of this world. And this person says, look, 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 I, I, yeah, I heard you, or I listened, or whatever, but let me just say, I want what's coming to me, and I want it right now. This harkens back as kind of a reflection from the previous teaching that Jesus had in the same chapter. Jesus' response to this man uh, about the sense that he has, uh, he, he basically says, okay, look, I'm going to teach you some things, but before I do, before we walk into this, uh, before I do, I want to back up for just a minute. In chapter 12, verse 1, it reads like this, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many, of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to to speak first to his disciples saying. So there's thousands of people around and his small group of disciples are right there in the front. He says, look, I want to teach these ones that I think or that I believe get it. I want them to know the truth. I want them to understand it. So I'm going to teach right now. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, Jesus recognizes a lot of things here. First, he talks about yeast as this example. Recognizing the reality of what yeast can do. Just a small amount of yeast can have a huge impact. And here, as he expresses this concept of the Pharisees and the, and the yeast at the same time, what he's saying is, look, it's not about what things look like on the outside. It's not about having just this little bit, but instead it's this direction, this all in, this, this jumping forward. At the same time, he says, look, don't conceal. Nothing will be concealed. It's not about what you have on the outside or what you have in your wallet or what you have in your, in your pocketbook, but instead it's about what's on the inside. And he points towards the heart and what matters on the inside. Then verse t- uh, 4 through 10 goes through about God confirming to them, don't, don't worry about anything. God will provide your needs. And then picking up in verse 11, it says, when you are brought before, uh, when you, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the same time what you should say. Man, that's good. The Holy Spirit grants the power. Follow him first. Follow God first. Follow the one who created all, including you and I, first. That's what matters most. That will bring clarity. And then he will take care of your needs. I didn't read anything in there about, okay, first go out and and read all of this and earn this and do these things and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then God will bless it and then you'll be good. No, it says follow God first. So what should we do then? What, What do we do in a practical sense? We seek eternal things. In fact, the first point is this. Seeking eternal wealth is an all in and single avenue pursuit. You can't follow two things at once. You can only follow one. Jesus understood this. Going back to verse 13, this man simply didn't get it, right? 
He just taught, follow God first, follow him and he'll, he'll take care of all of your needs. And then once again, I'll read in verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. Yeah, I'll follow God. That sounds good. But what about this money that it's just sitting there? I need it. It'll take care of all my wants and needs. He was selfish in his pursuit. He was self-seeking in his pursuit. Matthew talks about this serving two masters. In, first, uh, in chapter 12, verse 24, Matthew's gospel reads like this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Not possible. How does this work practically? Well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the, to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do, dark, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? This concept of yoked, this word yoked isn't talking about the eggs, uh, but it's talking about this, this contraption right here. So I am not uh, an expert on the issue, but I will tell you this, uh, this to me, this hangs in my office actually, and it represents uh, a physical representation of, of, of something else that's expressed in Matthew's gospel, and that is uh, taking the yoke that God calls us to do so. But at the same time, the illustration is true. For when, when Matthew wrote about this, and then when Paul wrote about this, he recognized that those that were there would understand the, 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 the uh, agricultural and the transportational understanding or the transportational relevance of this piece. Now, this one's missing a ring. There should be a ring like this on the other side. And the, and the reality of what this was for was to, to, to hinge or to connect two specific animals together, either to, to plow a field or to do whatever was necessary in the field, or at the same time to travel from one place to another possibly pulling a wagon or a trailer or something along those lines. And, the, and the, the interesting thing about this type of thing is this would have been tethered, obviously, to the, to the machine or the apparatus or the individual. These two were each tethered to the animals. And the, the thing about it is what this does is it clarifies one specific vision, one specific direction for the apparatus. For those two, if there was two oxen, the two oxen had to go in the same direction. They could not go this way and that way because this would, it would impede that. It would, it would keep them from being able to do so. At the same time, they could both go right, they could both go left, or they could go straight. There were options there, but they had to go together. And so if the yoke that you are wearing or the yoke that you have or the yoke that you are following behind has one that is seeking after God, straightforward, and the other one that is seeking after money, guess what? They're going to either go in circles, they're going to fall off the path, or they're going to fall into destruction. They're going to go over there, wherever that light was going. The reality is you can't serve two masters. You can't go two directions at once. You can only go one way. And as a, as a human being, we know this. There is a, there is a, a finalization of our lives, whether we, we, we pass from this life or if Jesus returns prior to, there is a finalization point. With that, we recognize we only get one shot at this. As the passage continues, we see that, that as Jesus, in his loving manner, and his loving tone, I, I, I would imagine, just kind of being there, that he took a moment to say, or to, to, to gather himself before he said anything, to just say, okay, 
they don't understand. What can I do? How can I express this truth? For the man's materialistic desires brought into light the understanding that he had ignored the spiritual teaching that Jesus had brought before them. And this leads Jesus to the next teaching. In verse 14, it reads like this. Jesus replied, didn't ignore him, didn't step away, didn't slap him and say, didn't you get it? No, he said, Jesus replied, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Excuse me. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Two huge statements, two really big statements within here that are noteworthy. The first one is, this is what we do. This is what I will do. I'll take it easy, right? The man says, here's what I'm going to accomplish, and then I'm going to take it easy. His action was a self-generated pursuit, a temporal, here's what I'm going to do in life, here's what I'm going to figure out, and then I'm going to take it easy and take a break in life. The second big one is this. This is the response. This night, your life will be demanded, I don't know about you. I don't think that I would like to know if God were to say, this is, this is the moment, this is the night, this is the day, or here's the day that it's going to be. I don't, I, wouldn't, I don't think I would want to know. But tonight might be the night that it's demanded, and it will be for someone. And the reality is God is saying in the, through this story and this story for this man that this is the night. And so the, the reality check for us is ask the question, if tonight is the night, if today is the day, if you walk out of here in, this, in the very moment when this service is over, if today is the day, what, what, what was the response here? What was the response here? Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Not where's the trailer that you've rented or the U-Haul you've rented to put your stuff in so you can drive behind you to go to heaven, right? That doesn't happen. No, who will get it? Because it's just stuff. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. And so the second part of that question, which is even more important, is about eternity. If today your life is demanded, where are you spending eternity? And it's not about the dollars you have or the things that you've saved up. It's about who sits on the throne of your heart. Who's the king of your heart? The second point is this, our stuff in this world cannot accompany us, accompany us into eternity. Think about this statement for a moment. All we've been working for, all the things we've been doing, 
it stays here. I mean, that should be somewhat of a calibrator for our priorities, for our investments. I did a funeral for, for a, a, a father in, uh, in Circleville when I lived there. One of my students, her father passed away at a young age. When I sat with the family, it, it, was, it, was, it was almost a, a joy. When I sat with the family, it was a family that did not have a lot of means as the world would, would, would consider, a lot of money, a lot of things, a lot of possessions. But when I sat with the family, it was nothing but joy. As they talked about the memories, as they talked about the, the way that he poured into his family, uh, he served in the military, he worked every day or worked when he could to provide for the family, but it was never about the possessions he had. It was all about the love that he did or that he had when he did it. The legacy that he left behind wasn't here's the inheritance fiscally or financially or the possessions, but instead it was the joy and the hope that he granted to his family. God called this man a fool. In fact, he said he was lazy and self-centered. He said we can be rich in this world's goods and broken in in heavenly possessions. And then it continues because basically what, what happens here is I think Jesus is kind of reading the crowd. Which as a preacher, I do that from time to time. I look around, okay, are, they, are their heads bobbing? Are they, which was difficult, real difficult to do when everybody's wearing masks, but now I can kind of get a read to some extent. Like, okay, there are, there are some that are still awake. I'll continue, right? Well, Jesus, he recognizes in the crowd that as he's talking to the disciples, there's a lot of frowny faces out there. There's a lot of people that are like counting in their mind, like how much do I have in my checkbook? How much do I, oh no, what am I supposed to do? And he, so he says, look, 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 look. I don't want you to be discouraged This isn't about discouragement. This should be an encouragement. Not what do I have to give up or what am I going to lose, but instead, who, what do I gain through this response to this coming to Jesus? And so in verse 22, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, recognizing everybody else was listening, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do very, can you not do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet Yet I tell you, Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where your thief comes near and no moth destroys. Or no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
But what an encouraging passage, this do not worry. God will provide. God is there. We gain everything by coming to him, even if we lose some temporal things or possessions or items in this life. I know this is simple for me to say and simple for us to read and probably much more difficult for us to actually do. I know that. I know that's, that's, that's the reality of it in many cases. You'll avoid the, the ever-devouring nature of the fault line of losing and gaining wealth, though, if you seek the kingdom of God. And that's the clear third point. Seek the kingdom of God. That, that's the core of all of it. If, if we seek him first, everything else will fall into place. Everything else will be taken care of. Now, I'm not saying that everything is going to be perfect and rosy and it's going to be exactly how you anticipated. But what I will say is that God will provide, especially he'll provide a way when we pass from this life, which is ultimately the most important thing. What do we stand to gain here on earth if we lose our soul, if we don't follow Jesus? Nothing. Nothing of eternal value. How? Verse 34 says, once again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you pursue in your heart, whatever you're after in your heart will eventually end up in your hand. It will happen. You will gain whatever it is that you are pursuing in some fashion. But we must recognize this, that we are not owners of the things that we have. You're not an owner of your home. You're not an owner of your car. You're not an owner of any of your things. Instead, those things are on loan. You are simply a manager of the things that God has entrusted to you in this place at this time. And that might be hard to hear. You might disagree with me. But let me just say, there's a, there's a, a really a great relief in that. Because what God's asking of us is to use the things, the things that he's entrusted to us to be able to glorify him. And that's all we have to do. Use the things that are put in our hands, in our midst, the things that we have to be able to bring, bring glory to him and share the truth with others around us. I know this is a touch, tough teaching and it might seem like I'm meddling a bit, but let me just say, in this passage, Jesus is most likely speaking to his disciples, the believers, the ones that know, the ones who are followers. The ones who, quote, signed up for this. Perhaps if you're like me, you, you have uh, some sort of smart device. I have uh, this cell phone. I, I, I've, I'm going on five years on this. And so I'm, I'm excited uh, to, to grow old with this phone, right? And one of the things that I've recognized over the course of time with, with my phone is there's, uh, there's, there's updates that need to take place. There's updates for different apps, which I don't have very many uh, because, like I said, it's five years old, right? There's, there's updates that you have to do for, for, your, uh, for the phone to, to run the process system on its own. You, you've, you've probably had these updates. And probably when the update comes up, if you're a lot like me, you sit down and you read every word of that update, right? No, I don't do that. I don't do that. But it's interesting to note that within that, there are some specific things that are asked of you. There's, there's specific things where, where they state in there, hey, whatever images you, you put on here, whatever you do, this is, we own all of this, right? We own everything. When, when, you, when you update this or when you download this app, we own all of this. In fact, we own all of your likeness in this area. 
Matthew 16, 24 through 26 reads like this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let them deny himself, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? But verse 24 is, that is, that's interesting. If anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross for me. I think sometimes, especially as I think about goods, as I think about the things that we have, and even in my own life, as I think about those things, sometimes it's difficult when I have something that I'm saving up for, something I want to do, or, or, or something, some money, a gift I come into, I think, man, what am I, what am I going to do with that? What do I want to get, right? But when I'm reminded of this passage, I'm reminded of the fact that I'm a manager. It, it isn't a question of, Steve, what do you want? It's a question of, God, what do you want? For this take up your cross is a question in our time, our talent, and our treasure of saying, God, what do you want as I take up my cross and deny myself? I ask the question, God, what do you want? You know, when I signed up for this, and I think maybe part of it is, is I, maybe it's, it's a recognition that I need to read some of these passages, especially this one once again, or, or re-up the, the understanding of that, that update that I did or that signing on process that we did, right, as believers. At some point, we said, yeah, we're going to take up our cross. We're going to deny ourselves. That includes our time, our talent, and our treasure. I got a simple challenge today. A simple challenge. You know, two weeks ago we passed out those passages and I, uh, uh, the, the the armor of God, and I hope that that was a formative time for you. I hope that you read over that. Perhaps you're still doing that every morning as a preparation. Here's here's the question I have, or the challenge I have for you today. The challenge goes like this: Before you act, this is simple. Before you act, take up your cross and deny yourself. So before you act means before you speak, before you, before you get ready for a meeting, before you go to class, before you spend money, anything that you do, take a moment before you do anything, take up your cross and deny yourself. It's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult thing to, to, to take a moment and to ask God, God, what do you want me to do when I am in the money? At the same time, it can be difficult to say, God, what do you want me to do when I don't have any money? But the recognition on either side is that God will provide for us and we are to follow him first. I'm going to pray to, to close this portion that I do have a benediction. And at that time, uh, Rusty Thomas, our vice chair, does want to take five minutes to address you guys, uh, the congregation. And so would you pray with me? As we close this portion of the service, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for it in the good times when we read it and it makes us feel good and encouraged. And we also thank you for it in the times when it might be a little bit more difficult to read, when it might be convicting. And God, I pray for that both the encouragement and the conviction, the comfort and the joy that comes from your word, that each one of us would, would step forward in whatever way you call us to do so, in whatever way, God, that you bring forth a, a path, a way for us. 
God, we pray that you would, would just continue to reveal, bring uh, the, the, the realization, the understanding, the vision of blind spots so that we might step forward in those at the same time. God, I pray, God, I pray that every person that is here today would not step forward, not take another step, not have another thought without first inviting you to be the king of their heart. Whatever else is on our hearts, God, may we cast it aside and may we allow you to be our Savior, our Lord, our, 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 the loving Father of our lives. May we pursue you and nothing else. Recognizing that the, the God of all creation, the God that's over all and in all, can take care of our needs on a daily basis. We thank you, Father, for who you are and for what you do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Sudden success or, or quick loss can both act as a fault line. They can shake up our lives and be either a blessing or a curse. And if we find ourselves, quote, in the money, let's humbly accept our good fortune as a steward and faithfully use it as God's glory, for God's glory. But no matter what, let us deny ourselves and seek his kingdom first. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.